This is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to a five-part conversation with K2 Intelligence Finn on defining and building effective compliance programs. This podcast series is sponsored by K2 Intelligence Finn. In this conversation, I'm joined by Michelle Goodseer. Michelle is a managing director at K2 Intelligence Finn and has 25 years of financial crime compliance experience, which includes fraud, risk management, anti-bribery and corruption, corporate security investigation, sanctions, and AML program experience working with financial services industries and the U.S. government. She is a strong compliance professional with a focus on compliance program building, operations, analytics, and business intelligence. Prior to her role at K2 Intelligence Finn, Michelle served as managing director and global head of anti-bribery, corruption, and fraud for a European bank, where she was responsible for enterprise risk, bribery and corruption, fraud risk management, investigations, and whistleblower programs. Joining Michelle is Gail Fuller. Gail is the vice president at K2 Intelligence Finn. Gail focuses on developing, refining, and implementing K2 Intelligence Finn's quantitative and qualitative risk rating tools. She leads engagements focused on helping Finn's customers, jurisdictional and private clients understand their exposure to financial crimes risk and develop and implement strategies to mitigate those risks. Prior to joining K2 Intelligence Finn, Gail spent eight years in federal government service focusing on combating illicit finance. In her most recent position at the Treasury Department, she deepened her experience in topics such as global AML, CFT standards, illicit financial topologies, global sanctions regimes, and intersection between illicit finance and national security threats. Today, I continue with Michelle Goodsir on why compliance needs a seat at the table. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode. And today, I have back Michelle Goodsir, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is why compliance needs a seat at the table. So, Michelle, first of all, uh, welcome back, and thank you again for taking the time to visit with me today. Hi, Tom. Thanks for asking me back. Happy to have another chat. So, Michelle, have has the landscape been evolving, currently evolving, or has there been a dramatic change that has made the role of compliance more challenging in your opinion? So I think that compliance has a number of challenges on it on a day-to-day basis. I would say, given the events of the last couple of months with the coronavirus outbreak, that the compliance officers are, are certainly even more challenged than they normally are. And I'd say they're facing not only domestic, but global challenges as well. They, with, the, with the latest coronavirus, we're seeing an uptick in various types of fraud activity that's been widely reported in the press, cyber-related events, phishing attacks, and, and fraud schemes, to be quite frankly, looking to take advantage of some of the government stimulus activity that, that's been um, underway, not only in the U.S., but other locations as well. And to that point, actually, a number of U.S. and also U.K. regulators have recognized the increased risk as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. And a number of these regulators have issued guidance to financial institutions in terms of the in terms of outlining the fraud risks that they're seeing and providing some some general guidance on on how institutions and also individuals can protect themselves. So the compliance teams are are having to manage these these increased risks and evolving risks as as the situation continues to unfold, in addition to having the challenge of dealing with managing and administering a compliance program when their teams are working remotely. 
So rather than having operational teams in a centralized location processing transaction monitoring alerts, for example, for anti-money laundering or potential sanctions violations, these folks are having to work from home, having to work through VPN dial-in, and it just makes overall administration a bit more challenging. And to that point, some of the regulators have noted and that while the rules remain the same and banks are expected to continue upholding the AML uh, sanctions regulations, anti-bribery corruption regulations, they have established hotlines to call in and they also encourage financial institutions to, to uh, keep their regulators informed if they run into any challenges that would as a result of the current situation, would result in them not being able to administer their compliance program to the same level uh, pre-pandemic. Michelle, I'd now like to ask you a question about probably one of my favorite topics, and that's, is compliance a cost overhead, overhead cost, or should a entity think of it differently? And I'm going to be really intrigued with your answer, because at the end, I'll tell you my theory on this. But why do you think entities should see compliance as something different than simply an overhead cost? Uh, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this one. I, I think it's really important, and I think it's unfair, actually, for compliance to be seen as an overhead cost. And I do think that firms should think of it of it differently. Uh, so, you know, certainly, when you think about a compliance program, the the greatest costs are around technology and the and the human resources. But I think you have to think about it, and an organization has to think about it more broadly, because if these compliance programs are not effective, enforcement actions themselves are extremely costly. And it's not only the amounts of the fines, which have have been and will continue to be, in my opinion, substantial, and you've seen this over the, the last 10 years, but, but there's also a resulting impact on the business where you not only compli- have to have compliance resources focused on remediation, but business resources as well. And, and there's a, an intangible cost as a result of that. And then some of these restrictions are also on the business activity as well. So in some examples, some instances, for example, a bank might be restricted to uh, certain types of clients and not be able to um, play further out on the risk curve with clients that might be higher risk or located in, in higher, higher jurisdictions or operating in higher risk industries. So there are these other consequential impacts if compliance does not have a seat at the table. So I certainly think that they should. And and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. I think that certainly regulations are not prescriptive in how they should be rolled out across an organization. And there's some leeway for compliance officers and for firms to figure out how best to roll out a compliance program that is is that, that is commensurate with the organization's risk and compliant with the regulations. So the fact that they're not prescriptive and that the risk landscape is is not constant either, it's important for compliance officers and business staff or first-line staff to maintain contact with one another. And I think it's important for the compliance team to understand the direction that businesses are heading in terms of their risk appetite and likewise for businesses and revenue generating departments to understand where the compliance team is in terms of its challenges and any regulatory expectations that they're managing on behalf of the company. So it's certainly easier to do that if there's regular communication uh, and attendance at, at meetings, both business sitting in a compliance meeting and compliance people sitting in a, in a business meeting. Because I think the, the, the cost of cleanup uh, as a result of not doing that is always more expensive than the cost of mitigating the risk. 
So, Michelle, uh, this topic is actually, uh, or subject is the topic of my next book. And my theory is I take it perhaps a step further because I try to posit that effective compliance equates to more efficient business processes, which equates to greater profitability. So uh, perhaps you and I could have another conversation on that topic. I would love that. And I agree with that, too, actually. So let me end by asking you, how can organizations make sure that compliance protocols are literally carried out every day in the day-to-day operations? I think that's important, too. And in my last response to your question, I talked about operationalizing compliance. It's actually one of my my, fav- my favorite words, um, and it's a mouthful. Um, but, but basically, compliance needs to be more than just policies and procedures. I always consider those, those two components of a compliance program to be the foundation. But it, you can't necessarily rely on people understanding a policy or even reading it, to be honest. And, and you can't also rely on, on just saying that it's out there and available for people to say that that you have a sufficient compliance program. So it takes regular communication and dialogue with the people who have to adhere to the policies and regular training so that they actually understand what the requirements are. And I I would go one step further and being, and that compliance officers should be able to explain why a policy is in place, because I do think that people will generally want to, to do the right thing and to obey, you know, obey the, the, the regulations and the rules of the road, but it really helps that, for them to do, be able to do that, that they actually understand why that's important and why it's necessary. So as communication and training is being rolled out, I think it's important to, to make sure that that underlying message is actively and regularly communicated. I think it's also important to make sure that there's a strong culture where people feel comfortable raising their hands if they, they think that, that something is uh, awry or, or something is happening that should be happening. I also think, and, and you hear about this all the time, tone from the top. And I, I don't want to be cliche by mentioning tone from the top, but it really is critical for, for management to say we value compliance and compliance is important, important to our overall business strategy because that sets the message to all of the other departments that are revenue generating that are not compliant, that they're, that they're at the table with the business partners and they are part of the firm's overall strategy in order to be successful. And I think that that is such an important message. And I think also, too, that, um, and I did touch on this previously, but I'll reiterate it again because I think it's so important that literally they should be sitting together. Business people should be attending compliance governance forums, and they should be actively communicating both views of of what's happening in, in each of their respective worlds. And likewise, compliance should be sitting at a business table, understanding the, the direction of business strategy, understanding the clients that are being onboarded and the types of clients and relationships that the business is, is interested in, in, um, in pursuing and the types of transactional activity that they're looking to undertake. So it's, so compliance isn't just uh, called in to provide an opinion when it's needed. They're there where they can provide ongoing Michelle, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners can join us again tomorrow for our next uh, episode where we take up uh, compliance on a budget. I look forward to continuing the conversation. I do too. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. I would like to thank you for joining this episode of my conversation with K2 Intelligence Finn, defining and building effective compliance programs. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode. This podcast series is sponsored by K2 Intelligence Finn and is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.